Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Good afternoon, folks. This is Dave Thompson. I am the Director of Education here at the Academy of Cleaning Excellence. And once again... It is one o'clock in the afternoon. It is a Friday afternoon today. This is our third day in a row of uh, doing this. So if you've been with us before, you know the routine. If you haven't, welcome to our show. It's kind of changed a bit. We usually talk about a particular subject, but uh, as we're doing these recordings uh, now and these live shows, uh, Bill Fellows, you're there with me, I think. Yes, sir, Dave, I am. Yeah, good deal. Well, kind of what we've been doing, uh, Bill, is we're just talking about everything that is health-related in the cleaning industry. We have questions that uh, come in about every 24 hours, and so I go over a few of those. For you that have just come on or you that may be listening to this as a recording, uh, Bill comes on every month with us and talks about uh, different things as far as well, safety. Last time, Bill, you were talking about uh, going to a bunch of different places, and um, I think you were doing some audits. Uh, yes, I'm a, an assessor for SIMS, the Cleaning Industry Management Standard, and uh, so I get a chance to watch how other people are doing their work. And uh, I had some concerns about how things were going in that regard and we talked about that a little bit last week or last month i mean and uh, uh, yeah it's, it's been a month can you believe that yeah <laughs> yeah keeps us busy so uh since it's uh covid time how's life changed for you and uh assessing uh, jobs and so forth uh tell us what's happening well i have uh five open assignments that we were supposed to start working on uh, this next week. And uh, right now they're kind of in a limbo status. Uh, we'll, we're trying to determine how best to deal with it. Uh, some of them are recertifications. A couple of them are new ones. So uh, on the recertifications, a lot of times we can do some things we can't do on a new one. We have to, uh, physically be at the sites for new ones, but for ones where we've been there in the past, sometimes we can get away with doing some video type conferencing and uh, be able to cover what we need to in that regard. Um, one of the things I've noticed in our, in our travels though, uh, since our last time on the air here was uh <clears throat> The difference in the perception of the value of cleaning. Uh, it used to be one of the first things would get cut when they had problems with with budgets. Uh, the cleaning would drop from 
maybe five day a week to three days a week, and then maybe down to two, uh, whatever they could do to save some money. Now, the concern is more on keeping the place healthy, which is what the industry has been touting for years. But um, this, this scare globally has now forced all companies to take a different approach to that. And so the business is actually increasing for cleaning companies who have the expertise to deal with the uh, disinfecting processes for uh, buildings and other facilities. You know, Aaron was on the line with me uh, yesterday and we had a few visitors come on and was asking questions. And that seemed to be one of the things, frequencies of doing different tasks. Um, do you think, and I know it's maybe too early on this bill, but do you think that we will see the day porter come back into existence? Uh, some places have it now, but not as, not as common as it used to be, but it's, it's coming back real strong for the, for the time being, uh, what that means long-term is yet to be seen, but, um, there are places that take uh, companies that have been cleaning traditionally at night and now they're having uh, day porters present and they expect all touch areas to be hit at least uh, three or four times a day and sometimes as often as hourly. Uh, they want those areas uh, sanitized, disinfected. Well, I think I like because you and I mainly talk about employee health and in, in most of our conversations, Bill. And I think this, uh, what you just said, lends to the fact that one of the best things that we talk about here on the podcast every every day is you touch your face 19 times an hour minimum. So our belief is that we should be washing our hands once every hour. So to your point, if we're going around servicing the touch areas every hour, uh, is this too far of a reach? Uh, not under the current circumstances, I don't believe so. I think it's something that should have been looked at uh, in the past, but uh, without some kind of a pandemic-type scares we're in now, not everybody's on board with that because most companies, uh, unfortunately, are, are dictated by bean counters as opposed to people who are more concerned about the quality of the work that's being performed. And I, and I think the thing here is, is I, I was just talking with a neighbor of mine just a couple hours ago, and we were talking this through. And, of course, everybody is like you and I today. You know, we're sequestered at our home offices doing what we can. And I appreciate you being on the air with us today. It gives me something to somebody to talk to other than myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, but him and I was talking about this and, and you know, the – Working remotely is one thing, but we can't do this for very long. And he was asking about what other illnesses. And I think I go back to this is a coronavirus just as well as influenza. Why, why haven't we been doing these protocols and keeping people safe when 2,000 people a week die because of flu? Uh, it's just not received the same type of attention as this particular virus did because of how quickly it came on and how, uh, <coughs> how it was, uh, even though a lot of people have recovered from it, the deaths are becoming more uh, publicized around the globe. 
Uh, so it's it's a fear factor that's been people are under right now. So once the fear factor leaves, is what we're talking about, then there'll be more attention paid to what we're doing. So as you do assessments and uh, your programs talk about employee health, do we have a concern going forward that we're now going to be using, trying to use again these very toxic products, or do you think we'll gain a little bit of knowledge and do this the right way going forward? Well, I think in, as a whole, the industry is constantly trying to move into areas where our, our ability to disinfect uh, can be accomplished with much safer uh, processes. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it required some, some bleaches is what was used initially, which we know isn't good for anybody uh, long term. But now they're, they've actually developed excuse me, they've actually developed uh, water processes now that have the, the kill availability through um, water acids that, that do the same job and in less time than it takes those uh, traditional uh, disinfectants that require 5, 10, maybe even longer minutes of dwell time to, to accomplish. So uh, that's, that's a factor. Uh, steam cleaning has been something that's been uh, on the horizon for some time. But the problem with that from the standpoint of the cleaning company is the amount of time it takes to apply the steam to the surfaces. So uh, while it's a very effective, it can actually be a full sterilization process, it still takes too long to make that cover the surface where... Um, we're applying liquids to a surface is much faster. Now, you mentioned steam cleaning, so I want to take that up. So anybody that's uh, on the audience, we don't have a caller right now, but I saw some people have come on and off, so uh, we might get some. And, and this is being recorded, so if you're listening to the recording, one of the things I was talking with a gentleman earlier this morning about was whenever the service personnel goes into a facility, they need to be thinking about what they're touching. And the first things they're touching is going to be the equipment, the tools that they're going to be using in the process. So my thought and what I've been writing in some of the protocol is to use, if you have them, uh, steam vapor units to decontaminate the equipment that you have before you start using. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, we recommend that very same thing as the, if your equipment's not clean, and uh, you can't expect the results to be clean. So you have to start with that. Uh, and when I, when I come into a place where the equipment's not maintained well, it speaks volumes of the, the uh, level of attention the company pays to what they're trying to do. And I watch a lot of uh, supervisors who want to manage results and not the process if they paid more attention to the process, they would get the results. And when you're following around, just looking to see if something's clean, that doesn't really tell you if the surface has been disinfected because you can't see the germ. So unless you're carrying a black light around with you, you don't know that. Well, you and I've talked about this on other podcasts before, Bill. Um, the process 
is as much, if not more, of an issue than the products that we use today. Would you agree? No question about it. I've I've seen it so many times where, uh, for some reason, people seem to believe for decades that spray bottles were the right answer, and they've they've never been a good answer because you, when you spray something out on the surface, if you look back across that in the light, you can see that uh, at least 40%, sometimes as much as 60% of the surface is not wet. And if it's not wet, it's not having any disinfective power at all. So uh, we want to look at making sure that the application of our disinfectant is uniform and complies with the dwell time so it doesn't dry up before it's had its chance to do its job. And that means being a little more diligent about how we handle things. Well, and that goes back into the application device. But of course, if we didn't pre-clean the surface before we use the disinfectant, which is part of the process, then the disinfectant, no matter what, couldn't have done its job either. And um, the gentleman was on earlier this week uh, in another podcast, and he even went so far as to talk about the biofilms that are left after the cleaning and disinfecting. Yeah, that's all true, too. So yeah, and so you get into you get into many levels of this, don't you, Bill? Um, you really do, and and unfortunately, a lot of the people that are uh, come into the business and cleaning don't really appreciate how important their role is and what all they really have to know. Uh, they uh, to them, it's just I wiped it; it looks good; it must be okay, and. Uh, if we're cleaning for the health of the building, it's that's simply not true. So we're both kind of sitting here, not going out to see customers and stuff. We're giving advice. We're, you know, handling uh, questions as they come in. You know, one of the things that, uh, I, you know, if you're, if you haven't been on the show with us, you probably haven't heard these answers. If you haven't listened to a recorded one before, um, one of the questions that I did get was, does the operation have a standard operating procedure and uh, document training that they can retrieve and use? Whenever you go out and do audits, do you find this is true or do they need a lot of help? In the case of those that are going for either a cleaning industry management standard for regular or for green buildings and services or uh, if they are if this is what they're trying to achieve the first time or if it's in the future for recertifications those processes are, are mandatory to be in writing it's not and it's not an option if that if it's not on paper we don't even bother to go and see if it's actually being done because it, it can't be getting done if it's not been written down to start with. Uh, and no matter what you try to teach people, uh, they cannot remember everything that you teach them. They have to have some point of reference to go to, and that's where these, these manuals and procedures that are written are, are invaluable to the cleaning people. And 
since you're talking about assessments that you do, is there a requirement on how often those are updated? Uh, not less than a year. Uh, and anytime there's a change in the service level, they have to be updated. So if you, uh, if you have a contract with a, a commercial building, for example, uh, the commercial buildings have various tenants and sometimes the building provides the cleaning service for everybody. Sometimes it's just the common areas. And then the individual tenants have their uh, spaces that they contract independently. Um, as those things change, uh, the, all the processes have to be updated to allow for those changes. So, you know, my thought here, you know, as we talk through this bill is uh, Daryl Hicks was on uh, before. And one of the things that he was talking about was he said, you know, it, this he equates this much like you have to have a driver's license to legally drive. And the reason you have is so that you've read that, you have done that, you have to update that. And that's to protect other people's health and your own health. Is are we looking at something that's going to change here now? I mean, we're seeing here at the academy more people come in and ask for certifications for different things. Long term, do you have any thoughts? Well, it's already been the case that uh, while there have been selected areas, governmental agencies and some private sector people required some form of a certification to show that you knew how to operate a business and that you have these written procedures in place and training programs to get them implemented and enforced, uh, that request for that is increasing. Um, more companies are now demanding that uh, because those companies who are not forced to meet those standards will tend to, to take some of the shortcuts in order to meet the, the price uh qualifications for the job as opposed to the quality and the these circumstances today have proven globally that that's uh, that can't be our, our first concern so i have a follow-up question that a, a person sent to me and i'd like to get your feelings since we're talking about certifications here it says i have a small janitorial service do each one of my people have to be certified or can I just certify my company? It's the company that gets the certification. Your people become certified not so much by a direct certification, but in that they've completed all the training programs that your company's required to have in place to get the certification. And so your individual employees should have some document that they can hold for themselves that says, I've been through this course I've successfully completed it, and if it's one of those courses that requires uh, updates, such as like bloodborne pathogens, those types of courses, that you have the most recent one, uh, and you're within the, the time limits of those certifications as individuals. But that's done by the company, not by a certifying organization. Okay, so see, there's a little bit of a difference of how 
uh, the, the auditing programs that you work with and what we do here at the academy. We do not provide company certifications. We do individual certifications. So when a person takes a class, we're certifying the individual, and that would be the documentation that you're speaking about that they could then take for their company certification through the programs you're doing. Correct. So, you know, many people, when we don't want to confuse people, you know, and this is why I want to talk through these questions that people have is because they're, they've never, well, they've never looked into this. And so now they're getting asked these questions. Well, what certification does your company have? And they're like, I don't know that I need one. And the uh, buyer is now saying, yeah, you're cleaning my doctor's office. Do you know what you're doing? And that's exactly the questions that are coming up. And um, I had an, had an example uh, uh, since our last meeting, but before we had this one, where uh, the company is doing some cleaning in a hospital environment. And the while the written procedures clearly outlined the process for disinfecting, the employees were not following that process. They were uh, reusing uh, uh, the microfibers that were used to clean in a restroom, carrying to another restroom. They didn't oh do the eightfold and uh, several things like that that just weren't being followed, even though on paper it said they were. So that company didn't get their certification initially until they could document that they have fixed that problem. And then we went back to them through, uh, through zoom where we could actually watch the people perform and re-ask the questions and make sure that they did understand what they were supposed to be doing and the order was to be done. So uh, I like, I like what you're saying there, Bill, because a lot of people don't know that we can do this. I've been doing that kind of a thing, uh, video validation, for years, uh, and I use Zoom as well here at the academy. Um, we're teaching some remote classes here uh, the 31st and the 2nd, and we're using Zoom as a remote class. We'll have a six-hour class that way. And, and the use of video like that to watch somebody do the job, uh, do you find that to be just as accurate uh, as if you were standing there? Uh, when I can, when I'm doing the watching, yeah, because it's done live. It's not, it's not recorded and sent to me. I'm there and I'm watching. I ask questions uh, along the way uh, to verify that they understood, and that's that's what I saw the first time when they weren't in compliance, and uh, there was some some definite restructuring in how they managed their operation. In fact, the uh, supervisory staff. Uh, were redirected and how to do their follow-up. And instead of coming around after the employees finished with an area just to look it over and maybe pick up a missed trash can or something like that, they're now with the people as they perform the job and they catch these mistakes as soon as they're made uh, to help reinforce that training. And well, and, and, and unless we do that, bad habits are continued. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the thing that I've, 
I've been preaching for years, but it didn't always get there, you know. Well, and I think this is where we have tools to make these more palatable based on our circumstances, time frames, distance, whatever it might be. Um, you know, and I think that goes to the, the, the question that the lady asked, and here's another one uh, along the same lines. I guess this was directed more for me, but she wanted to know if our accredited infection prevention expert was sufficient or do they need to have a specific one on COVID-19? Um, you look at a lot of these things. Have you actually seen any um, certification class for specifically COVID-19 and not everything, just it by itself? Yeah, COVID-19 is not a particularly difficult uh, virus to kill. It's it's not like some of them are out there that, that require some high-tech type disinfectant. So it's just following the common practices that use a, a disinfectant that kills that particular virus. And uh, that's not a difficult one to kill. It just has to be treated. So I like the fact that you kind of backing me up on this is that I told her, yes, our uh, infection prevention expert class where we talk about influenza, uh, norovirus, MRSA, and controlling those pathogens. This one here just gathers right up along with those. So if you're, if you're following the guidelines and you follow the protocol that we've laid out, then you'll cover the COVID-19 as long as you're using a product that is on the end list from the EPA. Correct. So we've answered that question. Um, I don't know if you know this. Uh, tell me if you've had anybody. And now we talked about this yesterday afternoon um, a little bit. Uh, before I go into the question, I've got to just kind of do a little brief thing here. We are sponsored by Gym Supply. They are a cleaning um, supplier, or if you will, a Jansan supplier of cleaning goods in Central Florida. They have been improving lives with cleaning supplies since 1930. As you can imagine, they, as well as almost every distributor on the planet right now, is being overrun. We're getting a daily update on what isn't there, what is coming, and when it's going to come later, uh, how much we're going to be allocated. So uh, if you're sitting in that situation, I would advise you to get with your local distributor uh, with whatever you need now and get onto their uh, allocation list because the earlier you get on that allocation list, the better that you're going to get the supplies that you need. So, Bill, I'd I've like, got a. Uh, go ahead. I'd like I'd like to add something else to that as well, if you don't sure. mind. Uh, yeah. We one of the things that that you learn when you're dealing with, and we all have our favorite distributors we like for one reason or another. But one thing about a distributor, if they don't sell it, they don't tell it. So it's really critical that not only do you get your information from your, your local distributor, but you need to be paying attention to the articles that come out there. They're, they're all over the place now for a lot of, a lot of uh, ISSA has them, uh, a lot of the BOMA, uh, IFMA, uh, and BSCAI. All of these people put out newsletters you can get for free. They come to you. You don't have to read them cover to cover, 
but you do want to pay attention to what's in them and clean out things that are of particular interest to you, especially when it comes to new technologies, uh, because you may want to reconsider uh, a disinfectant you may be using that has a, a, a less than preferable environmental impact uh, when you when you can compare it to what new technologies are doing for us in the area of water and steam. And, and, and when we're talking about new technologies, I've got two questions that have come in. So I'm going to, since you led me there, I'm going to go with another question first, uh, because uh, a lady s sent in a deal uh, back again because she's uh, actually processing, it says, a doctor's clinic. I'm not sure whether that's a family practice or a dentist office, but I don't think it makes a difference. As she's asking about our advice and our thoughts on electrostatic technology, I, th I would say it's probably one of the newest technologies, nothing really new, but new to our industry. Yeah, and then the deal with that is, is when you take on those types of new things, it'd be good for you to have available to yourself uh, black light or some other method of testing the surfaces after the fact. Uh, because as you're you're learning to use the technology, you you may not do it the correct way at first. You need to 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 learn a little bit more about it and apply it. But it's important that we don't just take the fact that we we swabbed it on there and now it's done is is necessarily true. We have to be able to document that. Well, and I think that's, you know, when we're writing our, our protocols for these cl different classes that everybody's asking about, uh, we do put in their best practice is to measure the outcomes. Uh, as you said, the results, the outcomes are the important thing. That's what we're there for. So uh, for the lady that asked about this, yes, you do want to uh, make sure that uh, you have use the right protocol for disinfecting, which is the process as we just talked about. But then also you have to make sure that whenever you use the electrostatic spraying technology that you're doing it correctly or the outcome that you're gonna measure is going to be wrong. And here at the Academy, we do have a class to answer your question. We do have a class that is uh, certifying the use of electrostatic spring. And we, we believe that this is important because it's new technology. There is, it's not just a simple, like a trigger sprayer or a pump up sprayer. It's different technology. We had a recent client that just went in, started using it. And within two days, they called us and said, this isn't working like it's supposed to, what's going on. And they just grabbed it and started using it. They didn't follow any procedures. That's, and that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, just because it, it looked good on paper and it demonstrated well doesn't mean you're proficient in its use. You have to be trained yourself just like you train your people. So it, it's not automatic. It's okay. you got to do something more. Now, another question, and, and I think um, this is one that most people I don't think are aware of at this point. Um there is a proper way to wipe the surface when it comes to this COVID-19. And I, I almost missed this in some protocol that I was looking at. <clears throat> and what it said is that we do not want to wipe in a circle. 
because as we wipe in a circle at the speed that we are going, we cause a little bit of an upturn in the air. And what it does is whatever virus that we're stirring up now is put back into the air to float. And so they're making very sure that we know to wipe in one direction. And whenever I do ATP measuring for the outcomes, I'm very careful in this because I don't want to cross-contaminate. Um, I'm not sure that you're probably looking in your audits. You're probably not looking for this depth of protocol, or am I incorrect? No, we don't. We don't look for that in our in our assessments. We look at if we watch how the people perform the process. That gauges for us whether or not they're getting the result they need to get. Uh, but that's an interesting point I had not heard before, Dave. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Well, you know, and, and the thing is, is when I saw this, it made really a lot of sense because I've been using this protocol when I do ATP measuring because over my, well, decade of using ATP, I have found out that many times we cross-contaminate even the test patch when we wipe in multiple directions because the microfiber would collect it, but then as you go back over the surface, it redistributes it. And uh, I've, I've shown myself many times with ATP testing, it could do that. So when I saw this, I was like, aha, this also makes a lot of sense. And how many people, when we're watching the, the process, make that one simple error in what they're doing? Um, I was on the air yesterday and was doing this, and somebody then typed in, that, how many cloths am I going to have to use now? And uh, so it does make you think. Yeah, that's there's a lot of truth to that. And there's uh, uh, there's also when you do use multiple claws like that, uh, for example, what you use in a restroom, unless your your washer temperature is at least 160 degrees for a period of at least 25 minutes, you have to wash those things separately so you don't get cross-contamination within the washer. Well, um, and this is this is why I think we're seeing a large upturn in no-touch cleaning of as many surfaces as possible. So uh, I wrote a, a protocol for uh, decontaminating uh, student transportation. And this is one of the things that we put in there was to use no-touch systems as much as possible whenever is po possible. I think this no-touch systems, and I'm not naming a brand, there's many of them out there, but it's basically you spray it on, you rinse it, you vacuum it up. Uh, that's going to be our best protocol. Yes, no doubt about that. For as many surfaces. And, you know, it goes back to the safety that you were talking about earlier, Bill. The more that we do these types of things, we're keeping our frontline people safer. That, of course, your customer, their visitors that are in their location, all of that goes. In fact, in, when you're dealing with east and west coast areas right now, um, tenants won't move into buildings that, you, if, if the property management or building owner can't prove that their building is healthier by the way that it is clean for indoor air quality, uh, they don't want to rent from them. So it's becoming an issue for property management and building owners 
to even attract good tenants to have those good cleaning habits in place. You know, as you were talking about, uh, I was looking at the COVID, uh, well, I call it the COVID map, uh, the map uh, from, uh, I think it's John Hopkins University of uh, the, um, you know, throughout. And uh, you do see this on this map. We do see the east and west coasts are the ones are predominantly getting hit by this. <clears throat> and, and, of course, that makes it even more important because uh, employers, uh, you know, years and decades, a century ago, uh, long before OSHA came around or some of those places, many employers had little or no regard for the safety of their people or the health of their people. But that's a totally changing dynamic now. And the um, the advent of OSHA and, and forcing some things to be done on some employers, they've also discovered by following the procedures that were outlined by, by OSHA in trying to prevent these accidents and illnesses, uh, they actually got better productivity for it. So it didn't cost them money like they assumed it would. It actually saved them money, and that's, uh, that's where everybody's going now. They want a healthy building so their people are going to be at work more often and do do better work well i think we're going to see through this uh, issue that we're in that employees not at work businesses can't survive and how how that's going to be affected you know, how much importance that's going to have on their businesses um you know the only thing is that i hope that we don't see is that We've struggled so much getting through this that then it's all about the almighty dollar quickly and we go back and, and, and go the other direction. But yeah, it's yet to be seen, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, that was that's been my concern all along. Is that what lessons did we really truly learn and embrace from it? Um, right now we're learning we've got to do something to protect everybody, but once that crisis is passed, how will the how the businesses will they go back to business as usual or will they continue these protocols i was talking with this gentleman in uh, pennsylvania that uh, wants us to bring the rockstar program up there for their school districts they've got about 22 of them and uh, later this summer they want us to bring the rockstar program up and we were talking through this and I said, you know, here's the interesting thing. There's a lot of service workers out there right now as we speak this afternoon on a Friday afternoon that either are in the middle of it right now because their building's closed, so they're there or will be tonight, and they're on the front lines of dealing with what everybody else doesn't want to be facing. And uh, I said, you know, the, the Rockstar program is, is engineered to let's identify those rock stars. So on a upturn, up on a good note, you know, I want to say, hey, if you're listening to this uh, this afternoon or if you're listening to a recorded version of it, the Rockstar program is in full swing. Go and find that Rockstar that you have. Go to www.rockstarcustodian.com. There's a nomination form there. Anybody can nominate anybody other than themselves. Uh, to be a rock star, and I think there's a lot of rock stars going on uh, out there uh, working today, Bill. Yeah, uh, there are, and a lot of them don't get the recognition they deserve, and 
um, sometimes not even from their own employer, um, let alone from their customers. So, Yeah, and, and this is the thing. This is the reason we built the program. You don't, Your employer doesn't have to nominate you. You can nominate a fellow employee that you feel or even somebody in another state that you have seen or heard or talked about that that is doing it uh i mean i i'm on linkedin you know probably every hour and i'm posting the rock star on several there's a number of posts that are coming out of people that are recognizing who has done something and everything so folks i'm going to tell you just please look at the people that are taking care and are keeping us safe uh, we need to keep them safe, but let's let's get them out there and let's get them the recognition. Yeah, one thing I'd like to add to that as well is one of my, as we've mentioned in the past, and this was supposed to be what we we're going to talk about this week was SDS terms, but you know the twist of events didn't get us there this time. But um, I offer a, a program for that uh, that I'd be willing to uh, let people have in a PowerPoint presentation to make it readily available to all of their people. It takes about 45 minutes to an hour to go through, uh, and and it helps people understand the terms on an SDS sheet that are important to a custodian, what they need to be paying attention to, and it's much more engaging than the idea of, of uh, SDS training that's required by OSHA where section one does this and section two does that, which is so boring. People just don't get the point of it. But these are terms that actually can mean something to them, to their job, and even to their private home life immediately. So anybody wants to, to email me for that, we can arrange to get those that copy to them. And how do they, what, where do they go to get you an email, Bill? It's bill at billfellows.com. It's real complicated. I gotta say, now that one is a hard one. I'm a narcissist. So. <laughs> you know, Bill, I'm gonna put that in the show notes uh, um, for that. Now that is, and, and how do we, how do they wanna ask for that? What's that again? They just asked for uh, SDS terms would get the point across to me. And SDS can, terms. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, we're, we're not done with everything. And, uh, I, I see we've got uh, Joshua came back on the line here. Um, do you want to go over a few of those uh, here quick this afternoon? Well, I can do – I'll do the first uh, couple that okay. we do. Um, so the, the first term that we go with is called uh, flashpoint. And at this point, when I'm with the group, I ask – people to tell me what they think that term flashpoint is so uh <laughs> we don't have i don't know if anybody wants to get on brave enough to answer that question in front of everybody but uh i'll give them a second if they want to come on and tell me what they think the flashpoint is yeah well i'm i'm sure that uh, probably <laughs> nobody's going to do it and even whenever you're in a live audience with people nobody raises their hand right no, it takes a little bit to draw it out of them, but you get the the most common answer that we get for that question, uh, what is the flashpoint, is it's the temperature when the chemical will catch fire. That's incorrect. And it's the number one wrong answer. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I like that, and I've used that. Thank you, Bill, for that one. I, I use that one quite often, the number one incorrect answer. <laughs> so why... 
But people, if you think about it, what you, what you reason on it when you just hear that term, it makes sense. Flight well, yeah. point be where it catch fire. But the reality is it's the temperature where a liquid will give off vapors. It doesn't and then even the vapor to, catches fire. No, the, it doesn't even have to be something that'll burn. It just means that it's a temperature where that particular liquid will give off vapors. Because if it is something that would burn, liquids won't burn. It has to be the vapor that burns. Right. So uh, the flashpoint, even water, is the only one that's a variable on a flashpoint because water is based more upon humidity uh, than it is necessarily temperature. Uh, so the flash the flashpoint, folks, is the temperature basically of the vapor. Yeah, when when a, a liquid turns into a vapor, then then the next two two that we terms that we talk about that are in conjunction with that is what is the difference between flammable and combustible? Oh, yeah. Here we go. So, again, the most common answer we get is flammable is where it'll catch fire and combustible is where it will explode. And that's also the number one wrong answer. <laughs> A chemical is considered flammable or combustible based upon what the flash point is. Whatever that temperature is, and this, this has to be a chemical that would actually burn. So if the flash point is 100 degrees Fahrenheit or lower, then it's considered flammable because it would appear in ambient air and with the right uh, concentration of vapors and any kind of an ignition source, even static electricity, could set it on fire. Combustible, the temperature is above 100 degrees Fahrenheit, so it typically has to be warmed up before it will burn. An example of that is diesel fuel in a car or a truck. Uh, if you go to start one of those in cold weather, the temperature uh, will not allow the vapors to come off of the diesel fuel. So typically you have to turn on the ignition and wait until a glow plug shows up on the dash. And that's telling you the chamber's been warmed up enough that now we're getting vapors from that liquid. So it will burn and you can use it as a fuel. Uh, so gasoline, for an example, its flash point is minus 56 degrees Fahrenheit. So if it were true that it would burn at that temperature, we'd never store gasoline anywhere. It'd always be burning. But mm -hmm. uh, and the, on the combustible side, if you go to a gas station and you'll see people filling up with gas, the octane levels are 87, 89, and 93 typically. If you're getting diesel fuel out of those pumps, you'll see the octane level is 40. So the lower the octane, uh, then the safer the fuel is because it doesn't automatically just light up or you have to warm it up and actually force it to burn before it'll burn. So those are the only ones I'll cover today, but maybe on our next trip next month, we'll be past some of this and we can go in a few other of those terms. Uh, hey, I like it. I like it because, you know, this is a thing that we're talking about today with COVID-19 being on everybody's mind. 
if we don't know what we're doing, we're likely to be doing something incorrect. Or think we're doing the right thing. We never got the proper training. And my point, my point when I do this class is I, I say to these business owners, uh, you, if you don't know this, what makes you think your people will? And, <laughs> and, what, do, and what do you get back? Oh, they, they agree with you. They understand. It says your people aren't any smarter or dumber than you are. We're all people. Oh, yeah. So we, we all think about the things the same way. And if we, if we heard those terms for the first time and tried to come up with an answer on our own, we're going to come up with the wrong answer more often than not. Correct. And I think that's why we're having this podcast every afternoon just for people to come on. I see that we've had several people come on and off and uh, you know, that's the whole reason for this. We record these. They're available at Beyond Clean with Ace, our uh, podcast channel where we have these. We're going to be doing uh, these podcasts uh, through the weekend. So Saturday and Sunday are coming up. I will be here to talk I'm not sure that Bill will be joining me on the weekend, but if you want to, Bill, you're welcome. Okay. I appreciate it, Dave. Uh, uh, Bill will be back with us again next month. And, Bill, hey, all week next week, I will be on the air at 1 o'clock live. If you want to jump on, you've got something that came up or you want to uh, join in the conversation, uh, you know the way. You can call in anytime. Uh, once we're live at 1 o'clock every afternoon. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate everybody listening in. Thank you. So, folks, uh, you've heard uh, our session for today. We'll talk about things. If you've got a question and you've listened to this over the last uh, few hours, whatever it might be, put that question together. You can email me at dthompson at academyofcleaning.com. I will then hold the question and we'll uh, throw it on the air for the next day. If, in fact, you like what we've been doing, we've been talking about any of our classes or programs, please like and share those. That's how everybody learns. Until the next time that we hear from you, see you, please make sure everything that you do is healthy, positive, and proactive. We're out of here for today. We'll see you tomorrow.